Well, good morning, everyone. When is the last time that you stood back and considered your life from where it started to where it is now? Uh, if you're raising kids in 2023, you know we take a ton of pictures and videos of our kids all the time. Uh, so if they ever want to know what their childhood was like, that's going to be very easy for them to find out. Or if anybody ever wanted to make a documentary about their life, there's going to be plenty of footage to comb through. Uh, but I was born in the 80s, and uh, not that we didn't have uh, pictures and videos back then. Of course we did, but my parents had nothing compared to uh, you know, what I have of my kids. But as I was thinking about the story of my life from where it started to where it is now, I dug up a little picture. I think this is the earliest picture of me. So proof that all babies are not cute right here. <laughs> that is me. Uh, I was getting roasted today by the tech team as I uploaded that picture onto this PowerPoint. Uh, they said that also looks like a 90-year-old man. Um, <laughs> you, know, you put a little pinstripe suit on that guy. Um, uh, Chris even said, you know, what is that, a blouse on you? I'm like, hey, that looked good in 1986, I guess. Uh, even I, I get roasted by my brothers and my sister on our family group chat about this picture every once in a while. My mom will step in and try to defend me. She can't even do it with a straight face, though. So <laughs> if you, uh, you want to know what the story of John Adams looks like, this is where it all began. How about your life? Where did it all start for you? If uh, somebody was going to make a documentary about your life, if they were going to make a movie and put it into a theater, what kind of story would that be? What kind of highs would that story tell? What kind of low points would be in there? What sort of challenges have you faced in your life? And how have you overcome those challenges? What kinds of successes or failures would be in that story? Who would be some of the people in the story of your life that made the biggest impact on who you are today? What would be some of the, the key decisions and moments in your life that set their trajectory of where your life went? What lesson would your life teach? What kind of story or moral would be learned from it? Would it be a, a story that had a, a tragic ending? Or would it be a story of success? If you had to encapsulate your life story in just a few words, what would your story be called? Today in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to meet a man whose life becomes defined by just a few minutes he spent with Jesus. And in the story of this man's life, a little spoiler alert for you, this is not a happy story. It's actually a tragic story. But it's an important story. It's a powerful story because it has something to teach every one of us here today. So today's message it's called Go and Come from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31. Would you pray with me before we open up God's word together? Father, once again, we come to you as we have already this morning many times. That's on purpose. We wanna 
remember that here we are before your face. We gather in the name of Jesus Christ uh, to listen to your word, to be encouraged by one another, and uh, to learn what you would have us to learn today. God, I pray for every person in here, including the one on the stage, uh, that you'd eliminate distractions and uh, open our hearts to hear from your word today. Give us eyes so we can see and ears so we can hear, that we would walk out of here wiser, not because they listened to what came out of my mouth today, but because the word of God met them in their heart. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So the first part of our story uh, begins in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. This we could call a man encounters Jesus. The story starts in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, this is talking about Jesus, uh, a man ran up and knelt before him. So we have a, a man approaching Jesus as he leaves the house where he was at in the verses that preceded this. And you gotta remember where we are in the book of Mark, that this is during that rising action in the book of Mark. We are on our way to Jerusalem where we know Jesus is gonna suffer, he's gonna die, He's gonna be raised from the dead. So as you read in Mark, the closer we get to the end, the more the drama picks up. And this story is no exception because Mark goes out of his way here to detail some of the drama of this story. Not just a man approaching Jesus, a man running up to Jesus. And not just a man who has a question for Jesus, a man who gets on his knees before Jesus. And we find out why this man was in such a hurry because he has a heavy question on his mind. He asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this man runs up to Jesus, falls down on his knees before Jesus and asks this heavy question to Jesus. Maybe, maybe the most important question you can ask, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And if you've... Uh, never read the story before and you were just guessing, how would you think Jesus handles this question? I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. And someone just asked Jesus, how do I get eternal life? You would think uh, that Jesus is gonna be preloaded with some incredible response here, that he's just waiting for this pitch right over the plate, right? And Jesus is gonna smash this question over the wall. But you'd be wrong because Jesus actually goes out of his way and answers this question about as indirectly as you can in three different parts. He starts his answer in verse 18. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So this man who came up to Jesus addressing him as good teacher, no doubt meaning that as a compliment, Jesus does not accept that compliment. He pushes back on the man. Why do you call me good? What Jesus is doing here is he's challenging this man's assumptions. He's pushing this man back on his heels a little bit. Do you think I'm good like God? Who do you really think I am? Then Jesus gives the second part of his answer in verse 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Now, those who are paying close attention to this text will notice that Jesus still hasn't answered this man's question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus doesn't say, well, you have to keep the commandments. He says, 
you know the commandments. You know what they are. So this man on his knees before Jesus with this heavy, maybe most important question he could ask, doesn't get an answer from Jesus yet. Instead, Jesus just rattles off what this man already knows. And Jesus does something subtle here in his response. And if you remember the last time that this text was preached around our Easter series, Pastor Gabe did a phenomenal job showing us that actually something going under the surface here, Jesus, when he refers to the commandments, he skips over the first few and centers in this man's life on the second half of the commandments, those commandments that have to do more with our relationship with others. He strategically jumps over the commandments having to do more with our relationship with God. So after Jesus lists some of those commandments in verse 19, you get the impression that this man thinks that's all Jesus has to say because you can almost hear him breathe out a sigh of relief in verse 20. He said to him, ah, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Woo, that was close. But Jesus isn't done, is he? Jesus, look at this, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. What's the one thing Jesus said this guy lacks? Go and come. Now, sometimes when uh, I get a text from my wife, she'll say, hey, I need you to pick up one thing from the grocery store, and then I get the text, and it's like, oh, man, that's a lot more than one thing. That's what it reminds me of here when Jesus says this, one thing you lack, go sell all that you have, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. What's Jesus doing in this answer to the man? Is he uh, in this first part, just giving this man a punch list of things to do? Remember the guy asked, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Is Jesus just giving him a list here? Here's what you have to do, divest your wealth, Make sure you get it into the hands of poor folks and, uh, and then you'll earn your way into heaven. Is that what Jesus is doing here? Of course not, right? Jesus' answer to the man's question is the second part, come and follow me. But what Jesus is saying in his response is that this man cannot come and follow Jesus until he releases what he's holding on to with all his might and another clue that that's what's going on under the surface comes to our mind if we look back at those commandments. Look at the very first one that Jesus skipped over. Have no other gods before me. What this man was holding on to was for him an idol. Something that he valued more than Jesus. And when Jesus says, go and come, what he's telling the man is my hand is extended out to you. I'm inviting you to come follow me and get what you're looking for, eternal life. But before you can grab that hand, you gotta put down what you're holding on to so tight. Go and come, Jesus says. And it's in this way that Jesus answers the man's question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus tells him it's not really a matter of do. It's a matter of who. It's a matter of who you're trusting. 
It's a matter of who you're saying yes to. It's a matter of who you love, a matter of who you worship. This is a critical moment in the book of Mark. I want you to, th- to think about just this moment that we find ourselves in, in Mark chapter 10 with this, this man who's kneeling down before Jesus this man who's kneeling down before Jesus, Jesus looking at him with love, telling him, I want you to go and come. What do you think's going through this man's mind as he stands there, sitting, kneels there, looking up at Jesus? What's he processing? What's he calculating here? What's the math that he's running in his head? What's he feeling? What's he gonna do? Mark tells us, verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this man who ran up to Jesus in verse 17 now walks away from him in verse 22. What are the emotions he has here? Mark tells us he's disheartened, he's sorrowful. The action, of course, he went away. And the reason Mark gives us, for he had great possessions. This is a wealthy man. So it's Mark who tells us that he's wealthy, he's rich. It's Matthew who tells us that he's young. And in Luke's account, he tells us he was a ruler. And so we have the story here in Mark chapter 10 of the rich young ruler. And if you were coming up with a way to encapsulate this man's life, how about this? A life that could have been. A life that could have been. Think about what this man had right at his fingertips when he knelt down before Jesus. Jesus extends to him an offer, come and follow me. Think about how much different this man's life could have played out. This guy could have been a disciple of Jesus. He could have walked with Jesus to Jerusalem. He could have been at the table at the Lord's Supper for all we know. Could have been an apostle, maybe someday. Could have been an early church leader. Could have written some of the scripture. But we'll never know what this man's story could have been because he lived a life that just could have been. There's plenty of calling stories in the gospels. They're all over the place. But it's not all that frequent that we run into a story where Jesus called someone and that calling failed, where that calling was turned down, where that person walked away and refused what Jesus offered. So here we are all these years later, we're watching this story unfold. And it's one thing to process what was going on in this man's mind or what could this man's life have become. But let's let's throw it on us for a minute. Let's put ourselves in that story and let's put ourselves right in the moment that we're seeing this man on his knees. I'm looking up at Jesus. Jesus is looking at me with love and he says to me, go and come. Whether that's for the first time 
I'm not a follower of Jesus, or whether that's the hundredth time he's looked at you with those eyes and said, come on, follow me. What has to go so you can come? What has to go so you can come? Maybe like uh, the rich young ruler, there's an idol in your life. There's something that you value more than you value God. Your wealth, the status that you've earned, maybe the security that your possessions bring to you. Maybe uh, it's not an idol in your case. Maybe in your case, Jesus might ask you to go and let go of a dream. Something that you will not give up. A career that you spent your life building. A lifestyle that was the end result. Some other goal that you had and now live in. Maybe for you, what Jesus is calling you to let go so you can come is a behavior. Something that you just can't walk away from. Pornography. Some substance. Uh, Maybe the language that you're using at your work or in your school. Maybe for you, it's a reputation, something that you aren't ready to change. You just aren't ready to walk away from a family member. Uh, That would cause chaos. I'm not ready to walk away from a friend. I'm not ready to lose the approval of those around me. But what has to go for you so you can come? Now, like you, I've had seasons of my life where uh, if you were to give my life a name and you were to call it a couple words, uh, it would look a lot more like the rich young ruler than I would like to admit. There's been uh, seasons of my life where if they were making a documentary about me, uh, it, it might be called this, excuses. Times of my life where as I read through scripture, as people who were mentoring me were speaking to my life, it became very clear that there was some area Jesus was saying, come on, come on, but you gotta let go of that before you come on. And I was ready with all the reasons and all the excuses, it just wasn't a good time. And I kept delaying God. Ah, One day, I'll get serious about that. After high school, after college, one day. Delays, excuses. Maybe your life right now looks not like excuses. Maybe if your life was called something, it'd be self-reliant. Now this can be an ugly story that plays out sometimes in people's lives, can't it? Sometimes God cares so much about you, he's intent on pruning you. Remember, uh, John tells us he prunes the fruitful so so that they will bear more fruit. And God is intent on you becoming the most fruitful person you can imagine. And he continues pruning you and continues pruning you, bringing trials, bringing difficulties in your life, just trying to get you to trust him. And this one often has a twist, doesn't it? Because just when you think it couldn't get any worse and we've hit the absolute bottom and you think, okay, this has gotta be the time the guy finally gives in and trusts Jesus once and for all. Nope, he's digging his heels in even harder. Maybe uh, your story is this, lazy. You come in here every week, you hear the word of God, Pastor Chris just giving us the truth from God's word week in, week out take it for granted. 
It's not that you don't hear what's being said. It's not that you don't understand what's being said. It's that, ah, I'm lazy. I'm spiritually asleep. Yeah, I should probably do that with my kids. I should probably be praying for my wife. I should probably implement that. But there's laziness. Friends, I have lived every one of these stories in my life during different seasons. Whether that's excuses, self-reliance, laziness, or a hundred other ones. But if we live our lives in these seasons that way, before we know it, without intending it to happen, what happens is our life becomes like the rich young ruler, a life that could have been. What has to go so you can come? I know sometimes it's hard uh, to answer the question I asked right away. What would my life be called? But let's narrow that focus down. How about this season of your life? I have a blank marquee up here. What's the season of your life gonna be called? Is it gonna be a life it could have been? Or are you gonna take a different path than the rich young ruler took? So in verses 17 and 22, a man encounters Jesus. He asks a question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, follow me and you'll find what you're looking for. You'll find that eternal life. I, uh, I worked in a couple like retail environments, uh, my teenage years and in my 20s. I worked in a coffee shop for a while. And uh, in both of those environments, some this is this phenomena that happens uh, in, in retail in the restaurant world where if you're working on the floor, you might see across the store, one of your coworkers is having this heated discussion with somebody in the store, some customer. And sometimes you're watching from far away and just keeping an eye on things because there's something going down over there. And what usually happens after that customer leaves, uh, that, that coworker will come over and you say, what happened? Like, what was that all about? And, uh, and they'll tell you what happened. And if those stories are really juicy, sometimes those can like, you know, they'll last for a couple weeks or months. Some of them, they turn into lore in your place of work, right? Well, evidently, this encounter that Jesus had between himself and the rich young ruler had that sort of effect on the disciples. I imagine them looking around each other, what did we just see? And Jesus, in the next couple verses that follow in our final few minutes here, he takes the opportunity of this conversation he had with a rich young ruler to now use it as a, a teaching moment with his followers. And he has two lessons that he teaches his disciples in verses 23 to 31. The first one starts in verse 23. So this is just Jesus breaking down what just happened. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, <clears throat> how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Jesus doubles down. He said to them again, children, how difficult is it? It is rather to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. Now, these verses have sparked a lot of debate and discussion out of the rich young ruler. What exactly uh, does Jesus mean here? But the truth is, what Jesus says 
is pretty straightforward. Having wealth and following Jesus are difficult things to combine. Whew. Now, it would be incorrect on the basis of this text to say that Jesus is anti-wealth. Uh, in fact, uh, we see throughout scripture a much more nuanced conversation about money and prosperity and wealth that the Bible has. Uh, Jesus himself benefited from wealthy people. They patronized scripture. They patronized some of the apostles' work. Jesus even looks at this man and loved him, our text says. Jesus is an anti-wealth. But what Jesus says here is pretty straightforward. Having wealth and following Jesus are difficult things to combine. It's hard to be wealthy, to have means, to be able to rely just on yourself to provide, not need anybody else, and to follow somebody who may lead you away from that. And uh, before, before you think this text lets you off the hook, understand if you're in this room, in almost every case, globally speaking, you're filthy rich. Having wealth and following Jesus are difficult things to combine. And actually, I'd say Jesus goes further than this. Not just difficult, having wealth and following Jesus are impossible things to combine. Jesus said, it's easier for a camel, the largest animal in that region, to go through the eye of a needle, the smallest object that they had, than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What Jesus is admitting here is that what he asked the rich young ruler to do was impossible. Now, how do the disciples react to this? Well, we read it a minute ago. They're amazed. They're exceedingly astonished. And that's because they're betraying that mindset of first century Israel that if you have wealth, that means you've been honored by God. And God is blessing you because you're a godly person. So they look at the situation and they think, wait a second, if, if this guy's in trouble, what does that mean for us? That's what they ask him in verse 26. Then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. See, having wealth and following Jesus are impossible things to combine, humanly speaking. But not with God. With God, all things are possible. We looked at a question a few minutes ago, what has to go so you can come? Now, God hasn't asked everybody who follows him and Jesus didn't ask everybody who followed him in the first century to give up all that they had to sell their possessions and give it to the poor. He didn't ask everybody to do that, but he did ask that of the rich young ruler. And if you follow Jesus, there will be times when he asks you to give up things that are impossible to give up. Maybe he'll ask you to give up on an idol or a dream or a behavior or a reputation. Maybe he'll say to you, that has to go so you can come and follow me. Now maybe uh, when you hear 
that you think, and maybe you wouldn't say this out loud, but you think, I don't know if I could do that. I like Jesus. I'm for Jesus. I come to church most Sundays. But I don't know if I could give up anything he asked me. Uh, John, I'm a, I'm a young guy. I, I date, um, and I, I listen, I love Jesus. I, I'm here almost every week. But I date, and uh, hey, in 2023, you know, certain things that maybe the Bible doesn't condone, but, you know, it's just part of, part of dating today. I don't think I could give that up. Maybe like the rich young ruler, you're thinking and calculating, yeah, I, I do have quite a bit, especially globally speaking. I can send in a message where Jesus calls somebody else to do it, but truly, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could walk away from what I've built, walk away from the security that I feel from my possessions. I don't know if I could. Or maybe you're someone who is in a, a later stage of life and you've worked your tail off to get to, to the state you are now. And now it's finally time to cash in and enjoy these years. And here comes Jesus asking you to go accept some role that's gonna pull you out of your house. Whew, I don't know if I could do that, Jesus. Now here's the thing about this text. Jesus wouldn't argue with you. He would tell you, you can't do those things, humanly speaking. But with God, all things are possible. What might Jesus be calling you to put down so that you can follow him? That's the first teaching moment Jesus has with his disciples. Following me is only possible with God. If you follow me, there'll be times where I ask you to do things you cannot do. That's not the end of the story because God is gonna make it possible. Well, Jesus has one more lesson that he teaches his disciples here. It starts in verse 28 and it comes through the mind of Peter. He says to Jesus, see, we've left everything and followed you. Peter says to Jesus, you know that, that go and come thing you just talked about? We did that, have you noticed? Jesus responds, Truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mother and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. What Jesus says here is if you leave possessions, if you leave relationships, if you literally sell the farm and leave your livelihood for the sake of him and the gospel, your return is gonna be 100x in this life. Now, now maybe you've heard stories of people who uh, did incredible uh, things when Jesus called them to do and you think, oh, I'm not sure they ever got that 100x that Jesus talked about. What's Jesus saying here? I think what Jesus is saying is that you may lose your mother, 
who can't bear with the thought of you coming to a Bible church. That may happen when you follow Jesus. But when you come into the family of God, you get a hundred moms. You may have to walk away from a dream that you had, but you come into the family of God, get new dreams. Maybe you walk away from a possession. You sell some things that you have because Jesus is calling you to do that. You come into the family of God, you're not gonna lack. That's a promise that Jesus makes. And to boot, eternal life in the age to come. So think about the, the tragedy of this rich young ruler. Has an urgent question on his mind, runs up to Jesus, gets on his knees. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, you gotta go so you can come. And this man processes, calculates and thinks, nah, I can't, I can't do that. And missed out on a 100X return in this life. And missed out on the thing he was looking for in the first place, eternal life in the age to come. By trying to hang on to his life, he what? He loses it. By not being willing to put down what he valued more than Jesus, he misses everything he could have ever wanted. Jesus concludes in verse 31, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Yeah, you may be called to give up some things that make it look like you're going down in this life, but in the end, you're gonna be exalted. I'm gonna take care of you. So the second thing Jesus teaches his disciples is this, following me promises a great reward. Maybe you hear these words of Jesus and you think, I don't know if I can afford to follow Jesus wherever he leads me. What Jesus says here is you can't afford not to follow me. You're giving up so much more than you would have gained by hanging on to it. So what's your story gonna be, Renew Bible? Have you been called by Jesus? Maybe in this, uh, in this Mark series, you've seen Jesus in a new light. You know, the series is called, This Is Who He Is. Maybe you had an idea of what you thought Jesus was, but now that you've been watching the story of Jesus unfold in the book of Mark, you're realizing I didn't have a good picture of who Jesus was. I had a, a domineering Jesus. I had a harsh Jesus. I had a, a judgmental Jesus. You better give that up if you're gonna follow me. Instead, what you find is a Jesus who looks at those on their knees with love and invites them into a life of more reward than they even know. Maybe you're being called by Jesus for the very first time in your life to put something down and to follow him. Or maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and uh, he's looking at you with those eyes of love for the hundredth time. And he's got that look in his eye, like I'm gonna ask you to give something else up. And you've, you've been there before. 
But now Jesus is asking you to put something down so you can follow him into new territory of obedience you've never been before, closer walking with him than you've ever walked before. Whether it's the first time Jesus is calling you or the hundredth time Jesus is calling you, what has to go so you can come? You're gonna live the life of the rich young ruler, a life that could have been, we're gonna follow a new path. Maybe you say, um, I don't know if I can do that. Jesus would say, you can't. But with God, all things are possible. That's why anybody in this room who follows Jesus has at least part of their story as this, strengthened by Jesus. Can't be a follower of Jesus and not have this as part of your story. Philippians 3.3 Paul says, we rely only on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Humanly speaking, following Jesus is impossible, but not with God. And if you follow him in his strength, there's another part of your story that he promises will be true of you. Rewarded by Jesus. 100x in this life and eternal life in the age to come. So what's your story gonna be? How's that board gonna be filled out with your life? How about in the season that you're in? What are the words that are gonna describe your life as Jesus looks at you and says, go and come? Pastor Chris mentioned before our service started, we're also in a season here of Stewardship Month, and, and this is what's playing at Renew Bible right now. It's not an accident that we're in the book of Mark in chapter 10, the story of the rich young ruler as we walk into this month as a church, because this is a season where God often asks our, our church, what are you gonna let go so you can come and obey? Now, this is a, a theme that this church gets we talked about it before the message started. This is a church that says we get to give. I don't know a more sacrificial church, a more generous church, a more joyful church in your giving, not just finances, the way you pitch in and serve and pray. But don't be surprised this month if you sense God is calling you, whether it be here or somewhere else in your life, to put something down and follow him. This month at Stewardship Month, I'll be showing you some videos. I'll be personally challenging you a few times through that mode uh, as this month unfolds. I pray as a church, we can be found faithful, not a life that could have been, not a life that would have been, but a life of following Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word and the way it challenges and instructs, uh, the way it, it pushes us so far out of our comfort zone into obedience. Uh, this is Renew Bible Church. They come here because they want to hear the word of God. But Lord, may, may we be also a people that's known for putting it into practice, for walking out in obedience and being sensitive to the way you may call us. God, I pray for your, your grace on the lives in this room. I thank you for the gift that you've given those of us who are followers of you, that we have eternal life in the age to come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.